0: Welcome to Lessons in Life and Love with Rihanna Milne, where we show you how to have the positive mindset for success in all life areas so you can grow beyond difficult transitions and evolve from those challenging moments that may have influenced your past but will not define your future. It's time to have the life you desire and the love you deserve as we teach you the exact skills needed to attract and keep a lasting, emotionally healthy, and conscious relationship. Now, please welcome your host, certified life dating and relationship coach, trauma professional, and best selling author, Rihanna Milne.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to show number 29 of Lessons in Life and Love. I am your global life and love transformation expert, Coach Rihanna Milne, and I'm on a mission to change the way the world loves. And I hope you, my listeners, who are my angels of love and my love transformers, will help me spread the word on how to have conscious, loving, and respectful relationships because I am here teaching you all kinds of goodies and that's what I want you to take and help people learn how to have emotionally healthy, evolved and conscious love. I am teaching you those skills, so turn around and help others. And no matter if you're a man or a woman, straight or LGBT, younger or older, single or in an exclusive relationship, you will learn something on every show so that you can have the life you desire and the love relationship that you deserve. Tonight's We're going to finish up from the science of love magazine, the secrets to making love last. And if you should marry again, just wrapping up on final tips on that and then we're going to start a series for a couple of shows on positive parenting which is so important because you know that my specialty area is helping those that have had childhood trauma and love trauma so the best way to stop that is never to have it start right and be excellent parents so I'm going to do a couple of shows on that. Do take advantage of getting your personal questions answered during the live radio show version and if you want to meet with me personally then apply to meet with me for a Free life and love transformation discovery session by going to my website, Rihanna Milne.com, and tell me your story. I always open up seven spaces each week for my radio and podcast listeners. And remember, you can hear my show on my podcast website, Lessons in Life and Love.com, to get the education that builds your knowledge and life and love skills. And you can also hear me every day. On the daily Alexa flash briefings on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Google Music, and your other favorite apps. And if you hear something you know will benefit a friend or a loved one, please be an angel of love and share the show link. And- Leave a comment and a five-star rating. I would appreciate that. Okay, so here we go. I want to finish up in summary. Remember last week we talked about marrying again and making love last. So I just want to give you some summary notes on that. Then we're going to hit a little bit on the positive parenting technique. Here we go. Five issues you both should discuss before leaping into marriage again. This time you and your soon-to-be partner are determined to have this marriage last forever. And it's fine to be happy and excited, but it's important to be proud. And make sure you discuss these final tips ahead of time before moving ahead. If you both have two homes, figure out together the best place financially, logistically, and emotionally to live together. Does one have a home that there's too many memories that are bad from a prior relationship or too much baggage? And if you have kids, you have to consider which is the best school district, which would be the less disruption to both families to move in together if kids aren't an issue for you consider whether a fresh start to a brand new place would be best for both of you with the kids number two remember you want to try to have mutual discipline rules and discipline the children all the same i'll get into that a little bit more in the parenting techniques but it's really important that one does not feel favored above the others it's going to be really hard if one is an authoritarian which is a more stricter parent and one is more lax. So you really got to get your rules discussed ahead of time and have all the kids follow the rules in the household. If you're planning to have kids together, have a realistic discussion about when that's going to happen, how you're going to care for that child. Will one of you stop working? Will you be co-parenting? Is there going to be a part-time nanny? Discuss that and any financial obligations that will occur with the baby. And as your older kids go off to college, who will be paying for that? How long will you support the kids within your household? household or is there a rule that they need to move on and so on. Tip number three, sexual needs and problems. It's really important that you're open minded with open, honest, loving communication and talk frankly about any sexual expectations, problems or needs before committing to a long term relationship. There is a lot of trouble when you disagree about how often you hope to make love or if one person feels ashamed about their body or guilty about sex or too uncomfortable to bring up their wants and needs. You've got to be able to talk about anything, especially as you age. You've got to be each other's friends and support system. If the man has ED, erectile dysfunction, you gotta talk openly about that, see if he can use uh, medication. For women, there's natural hormone replacement NHR. That's something uh, she could go to her doctor about and talk about the hormone levels. So it's really important that you're able to discuss this with your partner. Number four, don't forget about your elderly parents. If you have parents that are going to need care, how are you going to do that? Who's going to pay for it? Parent moving to the household? Do you put them into a retirement center? Is there other siblings that can help take care of the elderly parents? It can wreak havoc on a brand new relationship to move anyone into your household. Figure out how that's going to work and the best plan of attack for both families. Tip number five, Talking about money, do you need or want a prenuptial agreement? I would definitely say with second marriages, you want to be able to do that. You each do need your own attorney. Keep the agreement simple and to the point. And that way, anything you have earned before your marriage is yours. And you really need everything split out and defined. If you have children, one of you might want to have what you have, your home and your other retirement plans and a trust for your kids. And they are not shared with a marriage. I mean, you really need to talk about those things, your estate plans, financial agreements, and make sure that you agree early on. Don't be dating for a year. Then discuss this, discuss this stuff early on, even before you become exclusive, because you've got to make sure you're on the same page it is essential for couples to go into marriage with a good understanding about each other's financial situation there should be no debt there should be money in the bank both comfortable and then talk about who covers what way ahead of time those are some things again for that second marriage just wrap that up we ended a little short last time And the eight top secrets behind a long marriage, staying together in a long relationship means establishing a great base, whether that means having and raising children and launching them into the world. It's always best for society and the kids if they grow up with healthy families and marriage of their parents, of course. What people say has helped them sustain their marriage over many years is one, they really listen to each other. Two, they have great empathy for each other. And this is what I go deep into with my couples when they both understand each other's past childhood trauma, then they know how to communicate differently around that. Three, do what you love with your partner and still have your own independent activities and activities with your guy friends and your girlfriends. Individualized activity that could be music lessons or playing piano on your own or playing golf if that's something that you like to do individually or with another set of friends. Tolerate your partner's little idiosyncrasies. Everyone's got a little something. Don't expect perfection in your partner because that's really just ridiculous and now the relationship's about control five pursue hobbies and other interests on your own so you stay an interesting person and have other things to talk about sex look for solutions to problems instead of complaining come to your partner with a few suggestions If there is an issue, not just complain, whine or moan. For sure, you want to be proactive, not reactive. Very important that you work as a team and use team language like can we do this or we try that. Number seven, be ready to make sacrifices to protect the marriage. It's compromising, negotiation, and doing what's best for the team for the both of you. And always be respectful. That's tip number eight. You should be best friends. Be as respectful as you would be to your best friends in all situations. The science and the research do agree. The secret behind the survival of long-term marriage and continued satisfaction within a marriage is effective communication skills, respect, patience, tolerance, understanding, caring for each other, and listening. These are all the secret ingredients. These help the partners achieve harmony, and they serve as complements to that all-important factor, which is Love So important. They also wrap up saying, take time alone to get over the fights. Again, I talked last week about tea breaks or therapeutic breaks. If you're having an issue, I don't like to call them a fight. It's an issue you're not agreeing on. Either one of you call a tea break. Separate physically, take a walk, go to the gym, go grocery shopping, buy gas for the car, walk the dog. Take anywhere from 20 minutes, a half hour to an hour just to think everything over. Then come come back in a proactive state of mind with two solutions to the issue and your partner will do the same that way there is four suggestions to help solve the issue. And you just sit down and talk as best friends and see what you both want to try. I mean, there's going to be days when you're upset with each other. You're never going to agree 100%. And there might be a time it says, hey, I need a night off. I'm just going to go in and binge watch uh, Mad Men. Oh my gosh, which I've been seeing. Talk about childhood trauma. The main lead named Don, they keep doing flashbacks of his childhood. And it's such a great example of how childhood trauma impacts adults in Life and Love. If you're a Mad Men fan, which is on Netflix, you can see it and you haven't seen it. It's a great series. Keep watching these series that keep showing me clear examples of childhood trauma. Uh, It's fascinating for me. Last tip, let the partnership deepen and grow. They say, someone says, when I was first married, used to think we'd have this big fat rope that brought us together and then we'd go through a rocky time and the strands would come off it. But then I realized just the opposite. You start off with a small single strand and as your marriage progresses, more and more fibers are added to it. When you get to 50 years of marriage, you understand each other so fully and so deeply that rope has come from one single strand to the massive cable that will be together forever and even after death that's what I would hope would be with my partner and uh, we'll see you in heaven which is really sweet they say it gets easier with time because you just don't sweat the small stuff again of the past few weeks we have done the science of love Magazine, Rules of Attraction, Secrets to Successful Relationship and Making Intimacy Last by Centennial Specials, which I found at my grocery stores, and I'm always looking for new things to read and bring to my listeners. It's sale for $12.99 and it says it's on display till May 6th. So pick one up. It's a great read, wonderful articles, a lot of research in there, and I always like new and cutting-edge stuff. Today's show is being brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audio book with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening today. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna. Okay, we are going to progress on to start a series on positive parenting skills, raising successful children and teens by teaching the Watch Me Mindset for success in all life areas. And this is from Chapter 9 in my book, Live Beyond Your Dreams, From Fear and Doubt to Personal Power, Purpose and Success – and before I forget to remind you, you can get free chapter downloads at my website, rianamilne.com of both Live and the sister book, Love Beyond Your Dreams. Just go and download them. And if you like what you see, you can buy my books on Amazon, of course, and in the Barnes and Noble stores. Check it out. So I write a lot about parenting, like I said, because if you can give your kids a great start in life psychologically, emotionally, teaching them the love of learning they will always zest for learning. A lot of these tips I'm giving to you from what I found out when I was raising my kids, and I'll go into that a little bit. Okay, more often than not, when I had my psychotherapy practice for 17 years, I'm now doing total coaching globally, I would have parents walk their teenagers into my therapy office and say, fix my kid. He's driving me crazy. And I would tell the teen to wait out in my waiting room. And I first talked to the parents and I'd hear their horror stories of how bad their teenager was wreaking havoc in their home. And I'd sit there listening politely and then ask questions to clarify. Then I bring in the teen, who is the culprit. Right. And I'd ask his side of the story. And below is I'm going to give an example of how the Watch Me Mindset and principles can help families such as this one. So I'm going to call the teen Tim. I can tell by listening and watching the parents that they're angry as at each other. They sit on the opposite sides of the room. The mother's body language is very tense and closed, and the father has a hard time looking me in the eye. Of course, I suspect guilt. Very often, the mother is submissive, and the father is authoritarian, overly strict, and domineering with the entire family. I asked him if there's a lot of anger in the house and he replies, yes, they scream at each other. They scream at me all the time. I never do anything right in their eyes. They put me down to my friends. They don't like my friends. They ground me for everything. They're on my case the minute I get home from school and they spoil my younger sister who in their eyes never does anything wrong. As we know, that's what we call the golden child would be the sister who the parents seem to favor more. No wonder Tim is so angry and rebellious. He's the only one who has the guts to say that something's wrong with this family. I tell him that I understand why he is angry, and I ask if he'll work with me to help educate his parents in living in a different way. He's surprised I am not lecturing him and telling him he is out of line. I show him respect and commend him for sharing his feelings with me. I asked Tim what he would like to see changed, and at first the answer is always, I don't know which he always says with a lack of hope and a sense of defeat and disgust. Then he blurts out, I'd like to have time with my friends. I want my parents to trust me and get off my back. I want them to stop bugging me about my grades and all my homework. I want them to stop putting me down for how I dress and the music I like to listen to. And I say, okay, we can do this. And one, you have to get them back here each week. And two, you have to trust me that I'm on your side. Can you do that? And if he agrees to do this, then his family will be able to move forward and he will be able to change. I tell him, when I'm in with your parents, we're not always talking about how bad you are. I'm often telling them what they must do and what they have to change and how they parent you, okay? There is a lot of parenting education going on in these sessions. Sometimes I may rarely talk to you, but your being here is part of the change. And then Tim would agree. When I bring the parents back in, they're expecting me to agree with them that their son is totally defiant and out of control. Instead, I ask how their marital relationship is. I ask if there's a lot of anger and yelling in the home. Dad responds that everything's fine. There isn't much yelling. Mom, gathering her courage negates this. She says there's a lot of yelling. John yells at me and then Tim. Then the yelling starts as soon as John gets home. I try to keep the peace and get Tim doing his homework and Tim then says I'm all over his case about it. Well, she is. Mom takes her frustration out on Tim because she's too afraid to confront her husband. Further probing reveals that John drinks too much alcohol and is a child of an abusive father. John emotionally and verbally abuses Mary, the mom, and he hit her on two occasions long ago when the kids were young. Tim saw it and remembers. Her heart grew cold then, but she felt stuck in a marriage with two young children, so she became submissive in order to tolerate her situation. John feels his wife doesn't love him anymore because she's no longer interested in him for sex. This makes him angry and emotionally and verbally abusive, and he turns to alcohol. Often abuse runs through the generations, as we know from the research, and Tim has already turned to alcohol and drugs to escape from all the anger in his house. He admits to me he smokes a little pot and drinks occasionally. His parents aren't sure if he's using. John defends Tim by insisting, well, all teens drink a little alcohol anyway. Welcome to Family Therapy. It's never about just fixing the child or the teenagers. It's about reparenting the entire family and rebuilding the marital relationship first. If your children are acting out in defiance and something is wrong with the family system, I understand that children do not come with care labels when they're born, and the majority of them do not get any education on how to create healthy and happy kids. Parenting, I agree, is a very tough job. I've worked also in many schools with kindergarten students through 12th graders, as well as working at Rowan University in the Student Counseling Center. In the primary schools, I was known as a SAC, Student Assistance Counselor. It is the counselor who sees the emotionally upset kids, The bullies, the angry, or the acting out defiant student. This is the only position within the schools that is federal confidentiality protection. Children can come to me with their concerns about themselves or their families, which will be held in confidence unless I must report the information to Dyfus in New Jersey at the time, which was a division of youth and family services. Because if the child is in danger, it is my legal responsibility to do so. Children share a lot of the information about how their parents are abusing them, or about their fears when their parents drink too much and then fight. Needless to say, I made many Difus calls for their child's protection. I remember going classroom to classroom and talking about what abuse was and if any kids wanted to talk to me in private to let me know. Out of a school of 350 kids, 283 signed up to talk to me. Needless to say, I had a lot of appointments back to back and within a couple of months I made about 40 Difus calls. What I hear within my office sickens me. Parents and grandparents abuse their children by hitting them with belts or switches, which are tree branches or electrical cords. I even had two brothers in one school whose grandmother hit them on their genitals with metal trucks. Dad is nowhere to be found. Mom is a drug addict who ran off with her addict boyfriend and became homeless. And this aging, sick grandmother had been left to raise the mom's three young boys, the first two diagnosed with ADHD. Now, this story does continue, but unfortunately, we've got to go to a break. So hang on tight, and we will be back with more of this story. You're listening live to Lessons in Life and Love with your global life and love coach, Rihanna Mill. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audio book with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening today. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna and get started. Why Audible? Well, Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. To download your free audiobook today, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna and enjoy your free audio we are back and you are listening to BBM Global Network, the show Lessons in Life and Love. I'm sharing some stories from when I worked in a K through K-6 school in Vineland, New Jersey, as a SAC counselor. So I held many groups for all grade levels and during one of the girls, what we called friendship group, a student raised a concern that her dad was in jail. Slowly, all five girls shared that they had a relative in jail too. These girls were known to be defiant and troublesome in the classroom, often the bullies picking on other kids. And we know that a parent being incarcerated is one of the 10 childhood traumas that I define on my childhood trauma checklist. So the group wasn't just about friends getting together. It was also teaching these girls how to be a friend and not a bully. So many children have dysfunctional lives at home that they must return to every day. One boy shared with me that he watched his stepdad cut up the white powder that mom has to take around to their friends every day. This young child is dressed in the finest hip-hop designer clothes, but he's smart enough to tell me what his parents are doing wrong. Parents can be very quick to blame the schools for not teaching their children properly I see how hard the teachers work day after day in every school that I've been employed in. Almost every teacher I worked with was excellent, and the parents have no idea how loving and concerned they are about each child. As a SAC, I was called upon to help children with critical emotional and mental health issues. Two different children I had in one school year were caught playing with their own feces in their classroom bathroom with one smearing it on the desk. There was a third grade girl who messed in her pants still. Another student's well-known PTA mom, reeking of alcohol, picked up her daughter from school intoxicated. The little girl told me that mom and dad scared her when they drank and that mom drove drunk with all the kids in the car all the time. I had another elementary school child who induced vomiting for several weeks up to six times in one day to gain attention from her parents and try to go home every day. I had kids defiantly telling their teachers shut up and you can't make me. An elementary boy who moved schools every year had entered our school angry and looking for fights at every corner. He came in from a tough LA inner city environment called Compton and had witnessed several murders on his street. Another young child looked extremely evil and emotionally vacant when her mood changed to angry. Schizophrenia? Possibly. She was referred to a mental health hospital, and they did put her on medication. All this occurred in one suburban New Jersey, K-6 to elementary school, and do you know I was laid off, along with 10 other district SAC counselors, when the schools lost their funding for us crisis counselor. My principal and the students were in tears when they heard I would not be there for them on the following year, and my teachers were extremely concerned. Many children often do not feel safe in our world, and their neighborhoods, their homes, and where their parents are, and many come to school very angry, And now today, with all the school shootings, kids don't even feel safe at school. School districts fund football teams, but they won't fund the desperately needed SAC counselors. And without the children having the emotional support they need to function, then they retaliate and the schools fail to do what they need to do because nobody was there to catch the emotionally disturbed student way ahead before the action was done. These schools are worried about performing academically every year, and they fail. To really address the emotional issues, it frustrates me that no one at the district or government level is smart enough to see the correlation. SAC counselors should be mandatory and the first person hired for every middle and high school. I was just at a trauma training today, as a matter of fact, and the research always shows you should start trauma training and intervention as early as possible. So, you know, I always said middle and high school, which I've also worked at that level. But also with what I saw in the elementary school that I was in, yes, every school should have a SAC counselor. I had a 16-year-old girl in a North New Jersey high school. It was a Hackensack high school. Go home on a Friday afternoon to find that our whole family had moved out on her. The electricity had been cut off and the food was gone. All that was left were things in her bedroom. The new stepmom, a much younger woman, the father explained to me, didn't like his daughter. She had her own. This student's mom was in another country, Jamaica, and her dad was raising her. He said she got too out of control and was old enough to raise herself now. She was only 16. I found a shelter for her with the help of Dyfus attorney in Bergen County. I had to go to the top to get immediate action. And then I had the kids rally around at school and bring her donations of things for her everyday needs. We got her through the school year and this girl's a winner. I wonder where she is today. This is what is happening in our schools, and our government officials are worried about the assessment skills of knowledge, the high school proficiency, HESPA scores. What about the wars in our homes and on our streets, the ones our children and teens are fighting each day when they go home? Even if certain children within the classroom have normal families, which is less than 50% of families have both parents at home today, so two-parent families are no longer the norm, These children are still affected by the angry, mentally ill children that are in their classrooms. All these children want is love, respect, safety, and someone who cares. They melt like butter when they're with me because they know Miss Rihanna cares. I listen, I try to help and I'm real with them. We meditate together and we listen to the calming Spanish music of Louis Miguel. I don't understand a word of Spanish, but it didn't matter. I saw that it calmed them and they went back to the classroom happy and feeling good about the tunes going on in their head. They know I think children are brilliant and talented, and I do my best to teach them to believe in themselves. However, I can only imagine what these troubled children go home to each day. It's distressing for me. I see the hope and the smiles in my office as I witness their angry meltdowns, the defiant lack of respect and tantrums that can be triggered almost instantaneously. My male student from Compton ended up being an excellent dancer. The last year I was in the school, I took all the frequently suspended kids and formed a dance troupe. They put together a dance routine with my help, and we practiced during recess time. They were to perform for their entire grade. This ended up being the talent club. I had one rule. If they got suspended, they could not perform. Or d- detention. We started with nine students. Only one student didn't make it. He still hung out with us, though. When the dance troupe did perform, they got incredible cheers, not only from their classmates but from all the other children in the schools. Had witnessed their dress rehearsal the day before. When they were done, the observers rushed the stage to high five them. My dance troupe was amazed. All of a sudden, they realized they were a hit, and they had talent that others enjoyed. The other kids really liked them. The following year, when we did Talent Club, we had 24 in a waiting line to audition. I got the kids in the newspaper with a team shot. They were so proud of themselves. They also raised money for my daughter, Alexi's charity, who came and met with them at the school. Her charity puts water wells in Africa for villages of three to 6,000 people where they have no running water, and kids their age were walking up to five miles in the morning before school to get a bucket of water from dirty and polluted lakes. So the kids raise money for the EPIC charity, Everyday People Initiating Change, and they felt proud that they could help kids their age in Africa have fresh drinking water. To date, Alexa and her best friend, Tanila Moore, and the EPIC charity has put in 14 water wells around Tanzania, Africa. Kids that contributed to that felt so amazing with their performance. I always felt there's nothing like the creative and performing arts to raise children's self-esteem, and my master's thesis project at Rowan University had proved it. The dance performance was the beginning of the talent club, like I said, that I created, which was held for three more years after the original performance. It was an honor to be part of the club, and we had about 24 acts each year for the shows. The kids were all over the community with TV and newspaper, and the once angry acting out kids were now the talented, fun kids who others admired. Kids wanted to be their friends, and they began taking a leadership role in the school, watching out for the other kids. The turnaround in their behavior was amazing. That school that was full of bullying the day I walked in that door went down to none. I feel that competitive team sports are not always so good for child self-esteem as performing is. Why do I feel that way? Well, when I was in sports, although I had a record at Penn State Hall of Fame for swimming for the 100-meter breaststroke, I never felt I was good enough. As a child, my swimming times were always compared to those of the other kids, and I was repeatedly told I wasn't doing my best, even though I felt I was. My two brothers, who I love and adore still to this day, excelled at swimming in water polo and became all of American. I did not excel to that level, even though I even competed at high school nationals for water polo. This is fantastic for them, and I'm proud of their success, but I felt like a mere shadow growing up in between them. Children do compare themselves with their siblings, so find something for each child that they can excel in that will fuel their own self-esteem. Within a family system, to handle household dysfunction, the children often take on many different roles. The family hero, the mascot, which is often the youngest one, the victim, the rebel, the scapegoat, and the little lost child. There are other roles, but these are the best known ones in family system psychology. Now, I felt like the little lost child, the fourth out of five born between the two boys. I was very quiet and shy, and I held my feelings deep inside, expressing them only in my poetry and writing. It wasn't until I won a $500 scholarship to modeling in the eighth grade that I felt that I could do something well. I poured my heart out into an essay that any girl that wanted to win the scholarship had to write why they thought they deserved to go to modeling school. I remember one of the judges telling me I really had the gift to write. In modeling school, you only competed with yourself and your own growth. My self-esteem rose and I started modeling for various Philadelphia department stores and then did promotional work for the top Philadelphia radio station, which was called WFIL, I was a boss chick. And as weird as that sounds, I also danced the entire encore with Freddie Mercury of Queen at the Night of the Opera concert. People like Joe Frazier were my friends. I picked up Alice Cooper from the airport for his concert. So as a teenage girl earning $25 an hour to hang and work with celebrities, it was a pretty good job. <laughs> I loved it. There were some competitions with auditions, but no one in the business criticized me or told me I wasn't good enough if I didn't get at the part. I felt great just being myself. To this day I hate to compete. and I dislike team sports. I only inspire my own individual growth and encourage others to do the same. In team sports, really, only one to five kids excel per team and get the coaches' attentions and accolades from the other students. In field hockey I played fullback, but often didn't get to play. I remember feeling very dejected and not being chosen, so I hated that part. I was excellent at disco dancing. Another individual individual creative activity that my family rarely came to see. My first husband and I were the runner-up in the Pennsylvania State Disco Dance Competition in 1980. We had no set routine. The music just told us what to do as we flew around the dance floor in romantic unison, doing triple spins five in a row, only to be doing a dip at the end of it. I remember my parents coming to watch the state competition. It was the first time they saw me compete in dance, so they were quite amazed at my talent for performing. So parents, if your kids are not athletically inclined, don't force them to play a team sport just because you did. It could hurt their pride and their self-esteem and set the course for later failures. Instead, introduce them to individual sports such as tennis, golf, dance, or karate. As for those kids who enjoy team sports, you should encourage them. But don't become an obsessed parent on the sidelines. Parents who force their kids into hours of practice, whether it's for cheerleading, basketball, baseball, or football, they may see their child come to hate the sport. It's the same with practicing a musical instrument. After I had to play piano for eight years for 45 minutes every day, I came to hate it. I begged my dad to let me quit. And when I finally did, I never played for years. I owned a baby black piano as an adult. And now I have a keyboard that I'm practicing on and I'm back at the kids songs because I don't remember it. But I am at least playing for enjoyment and trying to get through that mental block. We will continue on at this point next week and we'll cover rules of discipline for parents, keys to effective parenting, raising confident and successful teens and kids. I have a ton of great tips that you're really gonna love and it will pay off if you use these tips on your kids. Most of them I learned when I was pregnant with Stefana 36 years ago from the Doman Method of Education, which back then was called the Better Baby Institute. What I read made so much sense to me. I said, I'm going to do this. And my kids always excelled. We're A students, love to learn, were reading before the age of two. Alexi exempted 11th grade. And they both were out of my house, successfully and gainfully employed at 19, excelling in their 20s, and they still excel today and are great moms and entrepreneurs. The last lesson is by Tony Robbins, Giant Steps, Small Changes to Make a Big Difference. And this is lesson 166. How do you communicate with your children? Often we don't realize the impact our words have upon them. Instead of blurting out, you're so clumsy or why can't you be quiet? Remarks that can powerfully undermine a child's sense of self-worth. Try using human to break her or his pattern. For example, you could say, if you continue on this track, I might start getting a smidge cranky with a smile. Say something that changes not only your child's focus, but yours as well, to pave the way for more appropriate communication and behavior. Then follow up with a suggestion such as, honey, if you do this differently, I think you'll get the result that you really want. So again, we're always teaching be proactive, not reactive. Okay, love angels and transformers. That's all we have time for today. I thank you for tuning in. And next week, like I said, we'll do positive parenting part two. So please tell your friends who you love and care about to join us next week. And I appreciate you sharing the love and helping me change the way the world loves. Please also take a moment to give a five-star rating and a comment on the platform of your choice and say what you like about the show and what you would like to hear in an upcoming episode. I do thank PJ for sending in his suggestions to me this week. You can send me your questions and comments at Lessons in Life and Love Show at gmail.com and reach out for that free life and love discovery session. During during the week at rihannamilne.com. Okay, Transformers, be sure to join me next week on BBM Global Network at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And as always, I am here to help you have the life you desire and the love that you deserve. God bless
0: and have a fabulous week. We want to thank you for joining us on this episode of Lessons in Life and Love with Coach Rihanna Milne. Your personal journey of life and love transformation has only just begun. Go to RihannaMilne.com for more resources. And if you're really ready to take action to improve your life or love situation, apply now for a free life and love transformation discovery session with Rihanna, a $500 value. Just contact Rihanna with your questions and to tell her your story at rihannamilne.com. And remember, it's time to have the life you desire and the love you deserve.
1: You've been listening to the BBM Global Network.